the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to Let Us Reason, a Christian-Muslim dialogue with host Al Fadi. Let Us Reason is a unique show utilizing theology, apologetics, and evangelism to reach Muslims for Christ by comparing and contrasting Christian and Muslim doctrines. And now, your host, Al Fadi. It's, it's obvious that whoever wrote the Quran didn't know their history very well. Now, you can understand, if you're borrowing this from other materials, you're borrowing it from other sources, as we're going to see, most of the Quran is borrowed from other sources. When you have Abdul Malik and Al-Hajjaj, they have to put a Quran together very quickly. You've got to go. There's nothing there. It's ex nihilo. You've got to stare and find what already exists. So you go and get a little bit here. You get a little bit there. You get it from the Ethiopians. You get it from the Zoroastrians. You get some from the Jews. You get some from the Christians. You get some from the Gnostic. And then you slap it all together. But you don't own this material, and you are not a historian yourself. You can see why they make this mistake. And already we looked at the Samaritan. Yeah, this reference to Samaritan is just too early. It's 700 years too early. Here's another one. Let's go back to the slide. And here we have a mosque, which is too early. Another problem here. Now, in chapter 17, verse 1 of the Quran, it says this, Glorified is he who took his slave for a night journey by night. This is known as the Miraj or the Miraj. How would you pronounce yeah. it? Yeah, Al-Isra wal-Miraj, basically. That's the uh, the journey from Mecca to Jerusalem, and that's the Al-Isra, and then Al-Mi'raj, basically the ascension itself. And so this happens in the middle of the night. He's woken up, told to get on the back of the winged horse called the Burak. He's flown up to from Mecca up to Jerusalem, and he went up to the seven heavens. So that's, and that's where it is. In chapter 17, verse 1, this is the reference to that, according to all the Muslim exegetes, that that occurrence. So by night from Al-Masjid Al-Haram, now, what does Al-Masjid Al-Haram mean? Well, I mean, right now, today, if you say that, everybody will gravitate towards Mecca. Okay, I mean, it's the Kaaba. basically the holy space, the holy area, the holy shrine, the holy temple area. But it means forbidden place of bowing, doesn't it? Right, I mean, that's why it's called Haram. Uh, haram basically uh, has its roots with the word Haram, Ivan, meaning prohibited, and a prohibition here that no pagans can go uh, to the mosque, technically speaking. So it's a holy space. It's a holy space. Yeah. Forbidden place. Right. To the Masjid al-Aqsa, what does that mean? Well, it's the far mosque. Mm-hmm. And of course, today, uh, if you say that word, the people will start thinking about, you know, the, the mosque by the Dome of the Rock, and we're talking Jerusalem, technically We're talking speaking. about Jerusalem. Yeah. yeah. That's yeah. everybody. If you ask anybody, Masjid al-Haram would be Mecca. Masjid al-Aqsa would be Jerusalem. Isn't it interesting? That's that's not really what it's saying there. Nonetheless, this is what every Muslim believes. Well, 
if you look at that picture there, take a look at the picture that we have there. Here you can see the Dome of the Rock. Can you see the Dome of the Rock right in the center of the Citadel? And just south of it, I've pointed to that if the other blue arrow is the Masjid al-Aqsa. That's the farthest mosque. That's the one that they're claiming chapter 17, verse 1 is about. Problem is, hold on, stop and think. Muhammad is uh, in the middle of the night. He goes to this Masjid al-Aqsa. So there is a Masjid. That means that it is up there. Is a Masjid is a mosque. There's a mosque there in Jerusalem. And this is happening in 621. So this is the year before he goes up to Medina. This is the year before the Hijrah. Uh, and that would suggest, therefore, that there, if there's a mosque there, there have to be Muslims there. You can't have a mosque without Muslims, right? That's true. Has Muhammad even gone to Jerusalem? Is Has Islam even passed? Has it even moved out of Medina yet? Not unless it came from Jerusalem. That's a whole different story. But technically speaking, that term is used, you're right, to a community of Muslims where they go and pray. See, you can't have Islam up in Jerusalem until Muhammad even creates Islam. Islam was not, it didn't even become a caliphate for another another three years in 624. Right. Muhammad hasn't even gone, there is no count anywhere in any of the standard Islamic narrative that he ever went to Jerusalem outside of this story where he went on the uh, being lost. But in order for the Islam to be there, there has to have been Muhammad first to have introduced Islam. There are no Muslims. Islam didn't even come to Jerusalem and did not take over Jerusalem until 638. If Muhammad died in 632, this is six years after he's dead. So this is happening in 621. You've got a real problem here, historically speaking. Right. So, so you can see it's just much too early. And it can't be that mosque. And Muslims always say, well, that's there, Jay, it's there. You can go see it. And they give me pictures of it all the time. That mosque that's there, that's on the southern wall, it was built in 710. It was built after Abdul Malik by Al-Walid, 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 his son. It was his son that built that one. And it can't be the Dome of the Rock because that was built by Abdul Malik in 691. That's the Golden Dome there. So you've got a problem coming and going with this. And that's why the Quran is full of these historical anachronisms. So Muslims, you you can't have it both ways. So that's way too early. Let's look at another one that's too early. And this is the chain mail. Coats of chain mail. That's what you use, these small little pieces of, of... of mail that keep the swords from piercing into you. Very effective in... That's a military uniform. It's a military uniform. uh, And according to chapter 34 of the Quran, verse 10 to 11, it says, and we certainly gave David, this is David, the King David, that we know in the Bible, and we made pliable for him iron, commanding him, make full coats of mail and calculate precisely the links. So it's even referring to the links that you have, the one link after another that interchangeable, that, that keeps it together and puts it on as a, uh, like a coat, like you can see in the picture there. Now, stop and think this through. David lived in 1000 BC. Coats of chain mail were not invented till 200 BC. That's 800 years later. You cannot have chain mail at the time of David. Can you? Now, that's a real problem because if this is if this if the Muslims really want to think that this is historical, you've got to take that verse out of the Quran because you cannot have this that early. So here's three different times when it's gone way too early. Not only with the Samaritan, we also have it uh, with the mosque. I want to go to one more one that is way too early and. That's the next one. So let's go to the next one, and this is a crucifixion. 
In the Quran, it talks in chapter 7, verse 121 to 124, that Pharaoh said to the sources at the time of Moses in 1400 B, and he says this, Indeed, this is a conspiracy which you conspired in the city to expel therefrom its people, but you are going to know I will surely cut off your hands and your feet in opposite side. Then I will surely crucify you all. All. This is, you know, uh, Moses is there. He is creating all these amazing miracles, doing things that, that the sorcerers cannot do. And Pharaoh is upset with his sorcerers because they cannot keep up with Moses. So he turns and says, I will surely crucify you. That's in chapter 7. In chapter 20, it's the same thing as basically repeated, where Pharaoh turns to the magicians and he says, we believed in him before I gave you permission. Indeed, he is your leader who has taught you magic. So I will surely cut off your hands and your feet on opposite sides, and I will crucify you on the trunks of palm trees, and you will surely know which of us is more. So, so here we're talking in 1400 BC, he's talking about crucifixion of these magicians, these sorcerers who cannot keep up with Moses. That's 1400 BC. Then we go to chapter 12, verse 41. Now let's jump back to the time of Joseph, 1800 BC. So now we're 400 years even earlier. And here, the Pharaoh, that's a problem as well, because we know there are no Pharaohs at that, that time. But he says, O two companions of the prison, as for one of you, he will pour out wine for his Lord to drink. And as for the other, he will be crucified. So here we have three references to two crucifixions in two different time periods, 400 years apart. Here's the problem. Crucifixions were never ever used in Egypt, first of all. Secondly, we don't have any references to any crucifixions until the Phoenicians actually invent this, this process, and that's 500 B.C. But in this case, with Moses, we're talking about 1400 B.C., and we're talking about 1800 B.C., which is 1,000 to 1,300 years much too early. Right. And, and notice the, the amazing thing. It was invented 500 B.C., meaning 500 before the coming of Christ. Yet Isaiah prophesied about Christ, the suffering servant, to be crucified, pierced for our sins, 200 years before this happened. Absolutely. Isn't that interesting? So you ask the same question of the Bible here. Yeah. The Bible gets it correct. The Bible even gets the action of persecution correct. You pierce the hands. You pierce the feet. 200 years before it happened. The Quran not only gets it incorrect, gets it, uh, in this case, 1,000 to 1,300 years right, out right. of date. But obviously, it gets this incorrect. But next, what I'm going to do, I'm going to show you where they get a crucifixion they should have got right. They get that even wrong. But that's coming up next. Wonderful. Thank you so much, brother. And of course, next time we will be focusing on the same theme, except different examples. Here's a crucifixion that they should have got. Wonderful. Thank you, brother. Thank you, everyone. Until next time, have a blessed day. Thank you for listening. We'll be right back after this message. You're listening to Let Us Reason with Al Fadi. We depend on the generous gifts of our supporters to produce this program. To join us in this work, go to patreon.com and search for Sira International. That's C-I-R-A International. You can also donate through PayPal. Go to sirainternational.com to learn more. Your support will help us continue introducing Muslims to the gospel of Christ. Now, back to Let Us Reason. Obviously, it is our duty to try to uh, uh, provide you with supplemental material that can strengthen uh, the arguments of this book, but also show 
other aspects that can reveal without a shadow of a doubt that the Quran, as we know it, is a book that is far be it from being perfect, not only in its composition, not only in its transmission, not only in its writing, but also in its content. And we've been going through a number of examples about its historical errors. And today is no exception. In fact, today, in fact, when, when we're recording this, uh, almost a week from now, uh, we will be celebrating Easter, which is in reference to the cross. But did the Quran get the cross correct? And with me here to unpack this, our dear brother, Dr. J. Smith. Dr. J. Thank you. What about the cross? Well, you know, we just talked about the last episodes where they got crucifixes completely out of whack, out of kilter, referencing crucifixions at the time of of Moses, 1400 B.C., references crucifixions at the time of uh, uh, Joseph, 1800 B.C. And yet we know that crucifixions only were created by the Phoenicians in 700 B.C. But the one crucifixion they should have got right is the one that's in the first century A.D. The one crucifixion which is at the center of everything we believe. That's the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. Let's go, go to the slide and look at this. And here you have a complete denial of the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. What's fascinating, in chapter 4, verse 157, it says this, And for their saying, Indeed, we have killed the Messiah, Jesus, the son of Mary, the messenger of Allah. And they did not kill him, nor did they crucify him. But another was made to resemble him in them. And indeed, those who differ over it are in doubt about it. They have no knowledge of it except the following of assumption. And they did not kill him for certain. Very clear. They did not kill him. They did not crucify him. Folks, this has an enormous amount of problems. I've got some of there right now, the historical problems. Then I'm going to get into some of the, some of the theological problems. But I'm going to also look at, look at what this also means internally to the Quran itself. Because if you're saying that Jesus wasn't crucified, what are you going to do with the historical fact that there are all kinds of references to his crucifixion? Not just the Bible itself. That's bad enough. All four Gospels refer to the crucifixion. Paul certainly refers to the crucifixion. Peter refers to the crucifixion in his writings. So the crucifixion is all through the New Testament. But what about the historians outside of Christianity? I've got some up here on the slide. I want to get back to the slide there. Look at the, you can see a Thallus and Phlegon. See them there? These are Greek debaters, and they're debating in the first century. This is in 52 AD. This is within 20 years of Christ's death. You have Thallus and Phlegon who are having debate, and in the middle of the debate, they are talking about the day that Jesus died. When it happened, the, the sun went dark and the earth shook. Within 20 years, they're already talking about what we see in the gospel accounts, right. echoing that. So you cannot say that this did not happen. You have Lucian, the Greek satirist, satirist that refers to it. Mara Barsarapian, also for letter, his letter to Pagan in 73 AD, he refers to the crucifixion. You have Josephus, the Jewish historian, writing in Rome between AD 37 and AD 90. He's Jewish. He would not have any reason to Talk a about Jewish the, historian that was uh, working for the Roman Empire. And yet he not only talks about the crucifixion, he also mentions the, uh, the death of James, his brother. And more importantly, he says, and these Christians believe that he rose from the dead. So he even refers to the resurrection, the only 
uh, extra biblical account we have for the resurrection. But possibly the one that is the most important is Tacitus. Tacitus did not like the Christians. He was a Roman historian writing at the end of the first century, the beginning of the second century. He had nothing good to say about Christians. So if anybody, he would have rebuked it, he would have confronted it. But he doesn't. He not only talks about it, he gives us the, the time period it happened. It happened under Pontius Pilate, he says, under the rulership of Tiberius. That's why we know it happened in 33 AD, because of Tacitus. If anybody would have shut down this whole notion that Christ died, it would have been Tacitus. Yet Tacitus agrees with it, supports it. He did not, he did not talk about the resurrection, and he had nothing good to say about those who followed Christ. But that's why Tacitus is important. Well, they're all important. Now, that's the historical record. So where is there any historical record outside of the first, second, and third I mean, up until we get to the Quran, that's the only reference we have. And you notice it's only in one verse. Look at that one verse there, chapter 4, verse 157. That's right. That's right. Look at the other Quran. There are other Quranic verses. Chapter 19, verse 33. Here is Jesus himself, Issa, says, Blessed be me, the day I was born, the day I die, and the day I rise again. And, of course, the Muslims will tell you the word death here means fallen asleep or God causing him to sleep. I mean, among many other attempt to explain it away. Mutawafika. Help me Mutawafika. Yeah. I mean, it's like if you do a study in the word uh, tawaffa or wafa or mutawafi, uh, all of these words indicate an act of death or someone is dying. Most of the time it's used in this context. But the Muslims, of course, will glinch on one particular verse in the Quran that says that Allah basically causes the death of people. And sometimes when they're asleep, he will uh, may withhold their spirit and then gives it back to them or at least life from them and gives it back to them, technically speaking. But you cannot support it that way. Okay. Even that, how can you then say, okay, so he uh, was born, he fell asleep, and then he was rose again? That makes John the Baptist said the same thing. In verse 15, the very same chapter. Blessed be he, the day he was born, the day he dies, and the day he rises again. So you can see you can't have it both ways. So this is a contradiction. Chapter 3, verse 55. I will cause you to die and take you to myself. Cause you to sleep and to take you to myself? Mutawafika does not fit in that context. So you can see verse after verse after verse does refer to the death of Jesus Christ, except for this one. So you have not only a politic, uh, a historical difficulty here. The question I always ask Muslims, then where does this notion come from? If all the historians are agreed that Jesus died, and they're from the first century, show me one historian from the first century that denies it. Right. Show me one first uh, historian from the second. And now you have the, host, the Gnostic writer who does infer that Jesus was went to, that he did not die. And, of course, you have the Ahmadiyyas who have come up with a whole other notion that he just swooned. He didn't. He was on the right. cross, but he swooned. They took him down off the fainted, cross. Fainted, basically. Fainted, went into the, uh, the cave, and three days later, he woke up suddenly because of the coolness of the cave. He, over, uh, he threw out the two-ton stone all by himself and overpowered the 16 guards, and then he marched his way all the way to Kashmir with his wounds, and he was able to get to Kashmir, and that's where he then died. Uh, I mean... <laughs> There is all you can see. This is uh, absolutely fictitious. But can you see this difficulty here? This is another a, a historical anachronism. This is another real problem. And it's the one historical anachronism they shouldn't have had. 
if they're going to get, we have problems with the earlier crucifixion, they shouldn't have had one with this crucifixion because this is not only historical, it's also theological, and it's also internal to the Quran itself. That's right. That's right. And and that's the problem, of course. I mean, there are some, when you study this uh, passage, you'll see so many attempts by the different tafsir scholars of Islam about the word tawaffa, basically cause you to death. And also, if he caused them to death, how long did it take? Was it three hours? Was it three days? Or whatever the case might be. And then on top of this, if, they, if Islam is against basically the cross and against the idea of someone dying in someone else's place, so why in the world would Allah doesn't come up with any solution other than causing someone else to die in Jesus's place? And then you see all the explanations about who is this person that would have died in Jesus' place. And one of the, some of them will say, oh, that's Judas Iscariot. That's interesting. Where did you get this idea from? Okay, so right there. And this is getting back to Shoemaker's book, because Shoemaker does make this notion. He says all these discussions, and this is another discussion that's going on. Why would this verse be there if that this wasn't in contradiction to something else? That something else would have to be the New Testament scriptures, which means there has to be Christians who are there, not Jews in this case. There has to be Christians in Medina or in Mecca who would have had the notion that he did that he did die. Right. Otherwise, this makes no sense. Exactly. So this is another clear example where you have to have a large Christian. This population. is a polemic, basically. It's a polemic, and that's why it would make sense. That's why. And here's the other thing: Where did when was this introduced in the Quran? The earliest manuscripts don't have this verse in it, which suggests to me this versus added at a later date. As you're getting in, we're going to get into source criticism in just a bit. When you get into source criticism, especially, you're borrowing from many different sources. You are borrowing also the stories go with it. So you can see parts of the Quran contradict this verse because they're borrowed from that different group or this other group. Now we're getting probably this one. This is probably borrowed from a Gnostic writing, which would be in contradistinction to the Orthodox writings. And that's why you're probably seeing these Interneasing, or I would say inter uh, sectarian writings within Christianity that feed their way into the Quran. That makes sense in the 8th and 9th century for what Shoemaker is saying, not in the 7th century. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much. What are we talking about next, brother? The next one we're going to go to is Mary. We're going to look at Mary, and then I want to also talk about the Qibla, uh, the Mary and the Qibla, because we've got to bring in Gad Gibson's material. This is These are two huge anachronisms, and these are historical anachronisms that have been around for a few hundred years that the Muslims still have not responded to. Wonderful. Thank you so much. Thank you, everyone. Until next time, have a blessed day.
three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.